Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer. For years to come, try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. On Monday's episode, we were in the army, in stripes, but that didn't work out so well, which means today we're going to try our hand at being cops as we cover the most successful movie of 1984 in West Germany, its Police Academy. Crime. The city was full of it. Hey, three TVs! Desperate measures were needed. Want you to go to the police academy. The police academy is such a dangerous place. Honey, don't worry. Desperate measures were taken. I'm joining the police force. So which film will flunk out and which will graduate with flying colours we'll know by the end of this show. So let's get it on. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Brothers. Shit, I'm deaf. I'm Alex Zane. <laughs> okay, silly. It's such a shame Vicky isn't here, so we can keep saying, shit, I'm deaf. Shit, I'm deaf. Oh, I was so happy when it happened, but it came up. <laughs> Just remember going, what is that the joke? <laughs> Why am I laughing so much? Shit, I'm deaf. Why is this the oh. best moment in 80s cinema? <laughs> He's so good. Steve Gottenberg. Shit, I'm deaf. Right, uh, once again, these are Victoria's choice because these are two of her favourite films ever. It's uh, her list. It does, it does. It goes uh, It goes. Ghostbusters, Stripes, then Police Academy. Uh, she she loves a knockabout 80s comedy. So uh, there you go. Uh, she's not here, though. Uh, she is away today. So it's just Chris and myself. And before we get started, it's time for our regular dip into the digital mailbag and a review from Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly. Uh, this is from our American Reviews. And it's uh, from someone called John Goodwin Four. Okay. Who says, love the podcast, love the energy, love the movie choices. One of my immediate listen tos. Great podcast. Five stars. Efficient. That is an efficient review. It's lovely. Thank you, John. 
Thanks, John. Made me feel good when I read that. Thanks, John. I mean, this this bodes very well for our North American tour, um, (laughs) which is it's definitely in the pipeline. Yeah, if you do have a venue in America and money for flights and accommodation, (laughs) we are available throughout the summer. And an audience of at least 5,000. We do not do below (laughs) 5,000. So if you could organise that on the ground there, because obviously we're based here, so it'd be difficult. I think maybe do it in Austin. That's where most of my friends are. That's where where I sent that guest for for the clue this week. You have 5,000 friends in Austin? No. Close though, right? Five, five. Well, that's that's good. So uh, back back to you, John. Four thousand nine hundred ninety-five more seats to fill. Go get them, Tiger. Right on Monday, as I said, I did stripes, which means today Chris is handling Police Academy. Chris, take us on a journey. A group of good-hearted but incompetent misfits enter the Police Academy, but the instructors there are not going to put up with their pranks. That's the IMDb synopsis for this film. But you know how I keep saying that these guys and girls were our Avengers in the 80s? Um, Here's the proof. Mahoney is the wise-cracking leader, Tony Stark. Tackleberry is fascist symbol, Captain America. Hightower is Man Mountain Thor. Callahan is sneaky sex spy, Black Widow. Hooks is mild-mannered until she becomes Hulk. Commandant Nassad is there for comic relief, like Agent Coulson. Harris is trickster villain, Loki. Doug Fackler is Hawkeye because no one can remember him. <laughs> Jones is Ultron because he can sound like a robot. And I've run out of comparison, so let's talk about the film. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good. Is that okay? That's good. You had me as well. Until you got to Fackler, I was sold. <laughs> um, uh, but, it, I mean, it was every summer we looked forward to a new Police Academy film. Oh, my God. I mean, look. It was all we had. It, genuinely, this is the franchise that defined my childhood. It's it, it, every movie. Up until six and seven, put them to one side. Mm. But between one and five, I have watched these movies so many times. I'm kind of, I'm blurring into our histories with the movie section. Yeah. But I, I'll be honest, you take away six and seven because I tried and I think either I was too old. But also, oh, no, no. no. <laughs> also, they're, they're shit. They're legitimately terrible. They're, they're I mean, awful. I think some of the other ones are quite bad as well. No, no, no. Five gets a bad rap. Five is actually, Assignment Miami Beach mm. is pretty bloody yeah, that's, good. That's the one I checked out on. I... It's because Mahoney's not there. So everyone's like, whoa, how are you doing this without Mahoney? You are still doing it without Mahoney. I mean, God bless Steve Guttenberg, but you know. It's good. So any distinct memories uh, from watching these films? Uh, no, I know. I think the first one I saw was Jones and Mahoney doing the rap in the car at the start of Citizens on Patrol. So mm. I think my first movie was number four. And then my favourite is, without a doubt, number two. And then based on this viewing, because one is probably one, one of the ones I've seen the least. Based on this viewing, I'd put number one. My order is two, one, four, five, three. Oh, is three bad? I'm not a fan of three. Yeah. I just don't like the jet ski chase at the end because I think it feels a little bit like now someone had just invented jet skis right. and they were like, we're going to use jet skis. Well, I don't know them as well as you, but my cousins, who I've mentioned before, Michael and Adam, hi, Michael and Adam, um, they were 10 and 8 years older than me and right. they introduced me to action and comedy when I was a kid. In, in, you know, introduced me to stuff I was too young for. You know, Eddie Murphy live when I was like yeah. six. Um so they introduced me to Police Academy and then Police Academy 2 I watched with my dad and we both laughed a lot. And so I thought that's my dad's favourite film. So I bought the clamshell video case of that and we watched Police Academy 2 a lot through right. my childhood. Um, so I remember, I have a distinct memory as well of seeing Police Academy 4 at the cinema with my class, uh-huh. my primary school class. I think it was a girl called Rachel Merrily's birthday. Uh-huh. And the whole class went and I thought it was the best film I'd ever seen 
come out and then the mum who was looking after us, I heard her talking to one of the other mums and the mum said, how was it? And she said, it's one of the worst films I've ever seen. And I can remember thinking, have I got everything wrong? Do I not understand what's good and what bad is? Um, it really made me question things. But um, I've done some serious homework this week. Alex. Oh, good. Um, I read an autobiography. Go on. I read Steve's autobiography. Oh. Do you know what it's called? I, see, I read it yesterday. I can't remember. Tell me. Uh, the Gutenberg Bible. Really? Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, and surprisingly, that isn't the worst named autobiography I'll be referencing today. Oh, wow. <laughs> I went down a bit of a Gutenberg wormhole yesterday mm. and uh, ended up um, <laughs> I ended up watching probably too much of Larvantula. Uh, which is a movie uh, about uh, lava that comes out of a volcano in LA and uh, coming with it are basically fire tarantulas, lava spiders, mm. if you will. And it stars Marion Ramsey, Hooks. Right, wow. It stars uh, uh, Callahan. Uh, it stars Steve Guttenberg as Mahoney. And who's the other one? There's uh, Oh, it stars uh, Michael Winslow, Jones. It's a reuniting did I not know about this? of the Police Academy cast that Steve Guttenberg set up. He was basically cast in the movie and he was like, I'm going to get my friends in here. Yeah. And it also spawned one of the greatest second, uh, one of the greatest sequel names I've ever heard. <laughs> so the first movie is called Lava Anchula. The second movie is called Two Lava, Two Anchula. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the piss. Two lava, two anchula. It's That's fucking genius. That's not a thing. <laughs> I loved it so much. I couldn't believe it. I was filling the dishwasher last night, just crying with laughter. Going, two lava, two anchula. Was uh, Love Anchula as bad as it sounds? Or was yeah, it, yeah. Okay. It's a sci-fi channel, like sure. CGI monsters that just don't look real. But I mean, it's great seeing the cast back together. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a bit behind the scenes. Um, I'm going to power through this because I want to get into the film. Uh, Paul Mazalansky got the idea in San Francisco while working on the right stuff. He saw uh, police people doing crowd control. He couldn't believe how diverse the group was. And he got told by an officer that they have fair employment policy. That means they have to take everyone on. And then he whispered to him, but we can flunk them out after three weeks. Yeah. So he decided, what if they aren't going to be thrown out? Uh, what if they're determined to stay? That's a movie. So he built the script around that idea and his idea, how he worked at this time, was let's get three set pieces, three comedy set pieces, and we can build a script around that. Um, the writers, I was looking up the writers. One of them had recently written the Star Wars Holiday Special. No. Yes. Oh That's what we're looking God. at here. Have you seen the Star Wars Holiday Special? You know, I haven't. Mm. I'm aware of it and I've seen clips of it. I've never sat through the whole thing, which I'm told is an experience. It is. I keep thinking of pitching us doing it at some point. I mean, it's whether it's on YouTube or not, because yeah. that's the only way you can see it. But anyway, um, so, yeah, I, I mentioned on Monday there was a war with the studio about the script um, because it was pretty sleazy initially. Director Hugh Wilson uh, came on board, yeah. helped write, you know, worked on the script, pulled out a lot of the sleaze. He didn't want it. The studio, uh, Alan Ladd, uh, Mr. Star Wars, mm. um, he said, no, we're only making this film if we've got a lot of sleaze in it. Yep. And so uh, the sleaze was put back in. We've got the Sleazy Academy. Yeah, I mean, Hugh Wilson sounds like quite a good guy. And in mm. fairness, he did foretell what the sequels would become because he said, I found out that I found the shower scene, the party scene and the fellatio scene were obligatory. Mm. So I had to put them in and I was stuck with trying to make those scenes as artistic as possible. Now, I think the shower scene can go, the party scene can go. I'm sorry, but that fellatio scene is absolute comedy gold. It's integral. It's one of the great moments of 80s comedy cinema. 
Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Um, so uh, casting. They had amazing casting sessions, they said. Um, Mahoney. Uh, oh, I wrote down who was up for that. Um, it's amazing. If it's yeah, true. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it's that list, isn't it? I mean, it makes sense that Tom Hanks would be on that list because I think he did Bachelor Party the same year and mm. it's a very similar kind of role. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Willis did audition for it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh yeah, Michael Keaton, he was playing that role at that time, yeah. doing Night Shift and what have you. Um, someone I could see doing it, um, who perhaps isn't quite as uh, beautiful as uh, Steve Guttenberg in 1984, uh, was Jerry Seinfeld, uh, apparently auditioned for right. it. Right, interesting. Interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sequel story about Jerry Seinfeld. Him and Lance Kinsey, who plays Proctor mm. in the sequel, mm. both auditioned for that role as well and met each other in the mm. audition room. And Jerry Seinfeld walked out and sees Lance Kinsey sitting there and he goes, you'll definitely get this because his audition had been so bad. Really? Yeah. Um, connection to Monday, though. Um, Judge Reinhold apparently also was up for this okay. Mahoney role. Um, Steve Guttenberg, uh, his autobiography is very good, very honest. I like that in autobiography. He do, he does. There's no ego in that autobiography. He talks about when he was an idiot and the fact that his ego got out of control. Really? Uh, just after this. But um, he wanted Splash. Uh, but the Splash people, Brian Grazer, again, uh, did not want him. But they were interested in having him audition for Police Academy. Um, famously, he wore his dad's NYPD shirt to the audition and um, he got the role. He said he, he thinks of Mahoney as Bugs Bunny. He said he Bill Murray in Stripes was his model for the performance. Really? Yep. Shit, I'm dead. <laughs> um, he said Mahoney wants a good time. He can be selfish, but he sees the good in everyone and he loves a prank. Um, Mahoney sort of tried to live up to that in real life. Sorry, Steve Goodberg. I am getting them confused. Um, he stayed in his ho own hotel away from everyone, he says in the book. He said he thought Mahoney was a loner who liked to party. And so that's what I did on set. I stayed to myself and I partied hard <laughs> in a separate hotel. Um, as I say, he's very honest in this book. He got paid $80,000 for eight weeks work on this film. Oh, um, can I tell you a great bit of casting? This is the only time I'm going to deviate to the sequel because it's it's just a great a great bit of casting information and I don't know when we're ever going to get to the sequel to be perfectly honest so if I don't do it now I might never do it um, Zed Bobcat Goldthwaite's role yep. do, you, do you know who was offered that role and turned it down <laughs> Bill Paxton I was going to say Bill Paxton because he plays that in Terminator, Terminator. yeah I wish I'd yeah. shut it down so he, he decided not to play Zed in Police Academy and instead he went on to do Aliens good choice Bill good choice good choice uh, so they made it in Toronto on the cheap. Um, they shot in an empty uh, former psychiatric hospital. And uh, Hugh Wilson, the director, let the camera roll, encouraged them to improvise. You can, you can feel that in the film. And Gutenberg says that one of the reasons it works is that there was no ego amongst that cast. They all wanted to make each other look good. Mm. And I think you can feel that. Everyone has their moments. Yeah. Everyone feels like they're supporting each other. Well, to go back to what we were talking about on Monday, you're absolutely right. Everyone has their moments. Everyone gets a moment. Everyone gets a scene. Everyone gets a high and a low quite a lot of the time. And, you know, you're going on a journey with... It's, Look, say what you like about Police Academy, but this movie does do what it does very, very well. Yeah, and, and you hear those stories about people saying, oh, I had no idea it was going to be as big as it was. Yeah, you were working on Avatar, mate. Of course you did. But with this one, I mean, they genuinely didn't. They yeah. thought they were making this funny institutional comedy, but that crossover appeal of this film, I mean, no one could have seen that coming. No, it, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing mm. that it did the business it did. What yeah. was it? It cost seven million or maybe... Around seven million, let's say, and it made what 
180 yeah, yeah. million. It was like the fifth biggest movie yeah. in America in the world that year. One of the two, but yeah, it was a. You cannot underestimate. This was a phenomenon. I think it was Gutenberg, either his manager or his agent, watched it with him on the, on the studio lot. And, and as they were walking out, said, I've got to get you a sitcom. <laughs> this, is a, this is bad. This is as bad as I've seen. Right, so should we talk about the film? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, that score. Mm. That score. And we have some words on screen. On the 4th of March of this year, newly elected Mayor Mary Sue Beale announced that she was changing the hiring practice of the city's police force. No longer would height, weight, sex, education or physical strength be used to keep new recruits out of the Metropolitan Police Academy. Hundreds of people were never dreamed of becoming police officers signed up immediately. Naturally, the police completely freaked. That last line is great. Mm. Naturally, the, compl- the police completely freaked. It's like, we're making this sort of kind of pro-police movie, but we're also saying the old police, they're bad. Yeah, they're Our bad. new police... Great. Yeah. yeah. No, it's good. It's, it's good. It's a very this very positive messages in this film for all its it's it's ill thought through racism and homophobia yeah. and misogyny. Like when it was made, its heart was it, its mind was probably not educated enough, but its heart was in the right place. Yeah. There's di- it's diversity, it's these weaknesses that society deems these people have become their strengths by the end of the film. Mm. So, meet the cadets. Um Tackleberries first up. Can we not going to... Because I can't play music because it's illegal to play music on a podcast, but I, I need people who... If you it's put... not illegal. You just got to pay for it, Alex. I'm not Are you going to pay for it? I actually might pay for the Police Academy theme, <laughs> but like... If you haven't... If you fail to do your homework and haven't been reminded of the Police Academy theme, if that earworm has somehow escaped you, go and listen to it now and then listen to the rest of this show because it will set the scene. It will create the right mood. Yeah. Uh, so he's patrolling his office. Uh, the employees are terrified of him. I'm going to ask you this question mm. for some of these characters, Alex. What would you say Tackleberry's defining characteristic is? Loves guns. That's it. He <laughs> That's loves what I've guns. Got written down. Yeah, he loves guns. Um, Do you want an interesting fact? David Graff, he filmed the very first scene, the opening scene of Police Academy, as we're talking about now, the very last scene of Police Academy 7. It was David Graff again. So he buttons the oh, entire wow. series. Oh, mm. no longer with us. Sad. Um, he showed up for his audition in camouflage gear. Yep. He knows what he's doing. Um, Tackleberry's a funny character in that I guess he probably seemed relatively normal in America then. He probably still does now. Mm. Whereas, I mean, guns. Just... I mean, especially what's going on now in America. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it, some, of, some of these jokes wouldn't fly anymore. I mean, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of these jokes wouldn't fly anymore. But yeah, loving guns and shooting people and things. I mean, what's amazing is a lot of these cast do know what they were getting into. Like, no one thought, like you said, no one was walking into this going, this is going to, you know, this is a big, this is a great script. I'm an actor and I've been mm. given this script. They all knew it was a bit shit. Uh, but it was still potentially going to make the money. David Graff says he went uh, to a party at Hugh Wilson's and it was very ritzy with valet parking, caviar, champagne. And while we were there, surrounded by all that luxury, his wife and him were struggling to pay the gas bill. The gas company had told us they were going to discontinue service the next day. I don't want to be in that position again. So I would do as many Police Academy movies as I was asked. <laughs> and true to his word, all he seven. Really did, yeah. All seven. He was one of the few that were in all seven. Yeah. George Gaines is another one. Who else is in all seven? Uh, Michael Winslow is in all seven. Hooks, um, Hightower was meant to be in all seven, but he they didn't ask uh, Marion Ramsey for no for some reason they didn't want Marion Ramsey in number seven. 
And so Bubba Smith, as a show of solidarity, even though he was cast in number seven, mm. said, I'm not doing it if you're not going to have Marion Ramsey. And so oh. he bowed out. Yeah, they were really close friends, yep. uh, the two of them. Um, uh, and uh, Gutenberg says in the book that um, Bubba Smith was our leader. Like okay. Mahoney's, Mahoney's the leader in the movie, but he said he's sort of, the, he's sort of this towering charismatic dude that we all just sort of hung out with, hung around. It's interesting you say that because when they focus grouped the film, the character that was most mm. beloved by audiences, that they, won, that they all related to the most and liked to see on screen the most, Hightower. Yeah, uh, but he was already a celebrity when he got this because yeah. of the, the, the American football career. He'd been, he played in Super Bowls and so he just, I just, he just has a presence. He made more money on Police Academy 2 than he made for his entire time in yeah. the NFL because he took points on the right. profit rather than a fee for Police Academy 2. Yeah, in the, in the behind-the-scenes documentary, he seems, they made 20 years later, he seems a little bit annoyed that his football career seems to have disappeared, <laughs> that this is all he's really known for. And I think he's more proud of the football. Yeah. He I doesn't mean, care, though. No, uh, there's a documentary that's uh, supposed to be um, being made at the moment. Oh, my God. What's his name? Who who play, Who bowed out after this one? We were talking about Donovan Scott, mm. who plays Barbara. Um, Donovan Scott, um, Steve Gottenberg was talking and saying Donovan Scott basically uh, filmed behind the scenes mm. a lot of the footage uh, of their making, Police Academy, and they've got all that footage now, and they're making a documentary at the moment. I think it's crowdfunded called Police Academy, What an Institution, which is due out at some point soon. Really? Yeah, in his book, he didn't think it was coming out, Gutenberg, but that was a while ago he wrote that. Yeah, he said it's a very sweet documentary. Yeah, they said they're in the edit. At the end of 2021, they were still editing it. So uh, Mahoney's Mahoney. He's, he's, um, he's Bill Murray. He's uh, he's a parking attendant here. Um, he's forced to park a car, so he drives it on its side into a tiny space and says it fits. Um, <laughs> just, let's power through them, though. Uh, Leslie Barbara, you just mentioned uh, the actor. Street punks. Street punks were a big part of these movies, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, they, they steal his Kodak kiosk and throw it in the river with him inside. I'm not sure why they do that. They're just bad guys. Yeah. They, they just don't like him. I imagine they're childhood bullies from school who are still tormenting him as adults. That's... That's the through line I drew. When he goes in the river, though, you, it's really scary because you watch it land and you're like, is he really? Oh, he's really mm. in there. And it, like, as he's going on the bridge, yeah. it nearly tips over and that wasn't meant to happen. Yeah. So he could have ended up in he, the yeah. river. He, he, he didn't end up in the river, no. but it looks like he's about to. Um, I'd forgotten he was in this film. Um, he never returned, did he? Do you know why? Why? He was meant to be cast in um, Police Academy 2. He was meant to return as right. Barbara and he got the script and there was a scene that required him to eat cat shit and he went, absolutely fucking not, wow. and turned it down. So you know, I can't remember the actor's name, you know the really gross guy who rubs the ants off the chocolate bar at the yeah, start? Yeah, That's Barbara's yeah. character. Yeah, I mean, and his defining characteristic is he's overweight, basically, and so that's a little bit... And a bit of a mummy's boy, I yeah, sort of... No, that's... no, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Uh, he didn't return to Police Academy, but he has since played Santa 13 times. <laughs> I know! <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um... So Mahoney, Mahoney's arrested again, apparently. He goes to, to the police station and he meets Jones. Mm. So they all talk about this story. They heard that Winslow was this great comic. He was opening for Count Basie. That doesn't make sense to me. Why would a comedian who makes noises open for Count Basie? They went to see him. The microphone wasn't working. He used a fire marshal's megaphone to do his act. Uh, and they cast him on the spot, basically. Yeah. They wrote the role for him. I guess when you're a kid, this is what you come in school the next day and say, I you're not going to believe what I saw. Mm. There's a guy in a film. who can. I mean, I watch it now. It's not that funny. But it's, weird. It, it's, it's like he's weird. a superhero. It's weird you say that because I'm exactly the same. Mm. As a kid, 
Jones was the best thing about these movies. It's like, oh my god, he's making the sound of a helicopter. Yep. He's doing a machine. Can't gun. believe it's real. And it's it's astonishing. And then you watch it now, and you're like, all right, it's fine. I get the joke. I am. He's, he's he's shooting up. He's pretending to shoot up a police station. <laughs> That's not going to fly right now, Jones. <laughs> it's. Uh, I quite like the machine gun at the start. That's a well thought through gag. Some of the others are, are, are just sort of like. But why not- why's he got a megaphone on him if he's been arrested? <laughs> I um I opened for him once when he was doing a few gigs in the oh, UK. Wow. I was his support act, and uh, yeah, he was he was good. It was some of it was a bit dated, but yeah. he was um he was you know I was like, oh my god, yeah. I'm supporting Jones. Oh, that's amazing. It was so it, a big moment. Big moment. Did you meet him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we had awesome. photos taken afterwards. Yeah. And obviously, I was like, please for killing me, and he was like, yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, no, I love making those movies. He was really. Can you find that photo? Yeah, of course. Awesome. Well, we'll post that to our Twitter. Um, He's annoyed to this day. He reckons beatboxers stole his shtick. Maybe it could be true. I mean, he is basically beatboxing when we meet him yeah, at yeah. the start. Yeah. But it's sort of, it's weird because it's evolved to be so much better now than what he's doing in this movie. Not sure. Um, so a cop friend of Mahoney's dad, Captain Reed, sends him to the police academy, but he's joining just to be thrown out. Um, Fackler. Um, is heading to the police academy to get away from his nagging wife. What's his defining characteristic? <laughs> He's clumsy. He's clumsy. <laughs> He's clumsy. Um, genuinely, my first big laugh of the movie, uh, is, and there are there are plenty in this, but the first big one is the fence jumping gag mm. with Mrs. Fackler, mm. which they they're using so um, good. hot fuzz, don't they? Mm. Yeah, uh, I'd forgotten she ends up in Police Academy Three, which basically in Police Academy Three. Uh, no, but well, she's Police Academy Four. She they basically do a parody on a parody. So they, they the Police Academy series is very well known for going. Well, that worked once. Let's do it six more times. And in Police Academy Four, Citizens on Patrol, when she joins the police force, it's her on the bonnet of Fackler's car, and so they reverse oh. it. All right, I need to go watch that now. Uh, Karen Thompson, played by my first ever crush, Kim Cattrall. Um, <laughs> Her personality is she's rich. <laughs> um, Gutenberg says in the, his book that um, she's a very lovely lady, but she was basically playing herself in this film as she was shocked by all the rude jokes on set in the script. Like, it's just not her thing. And so he said wow. it was quite funny that she didn't find it hard to be that character. Okay. Um, did, 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 weirdly, didn't come back for any of the others. No. <laughs> no. She went on to bigger and better things. Oh, that's yeah. what I mean. She was making proper films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Mannequins two years later, mm. and we're just waiting. We are waiting to do Mannequin. Well, I am anyway. Yeah. Uh, G.W. Bailey as well, obviously. Mm. George Martin. George Martin. Uh, he's a Latin Lothario. Uh, what's his uh, characteristic, Alex? He's good with the ladies. Uh, no, he tricks women into bed. <laughs> <laughs> with a fake accent. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Yeah. No, uh, it, it, hands down, that is not even a joke. That's fact. Uh, I'm going to get on to the... I don't think the... he makes it back in any of the others. I think they went, oh, that joke's done. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, the plan from the snobby chief is, um, well, you know, he says we were the right weight, the right height, the right colour, and we all mm. had Johnsons. Um, Johnsons as far as I could see. Um, and so his plan is to weed out the undesirables by encouraging them to quit. That's your plot, basically. Yep. Uh, Harris, played by G.W. Bailey. Lots to say here. Bailey, Bailey loved this character. Mm. Um, he says that he shouts Proctor in the middle of a restaurant and he's treated like a rock star. He doesn't say if anyone asks him to shout out Proctor, <laughs> but that's what he does, apparently. <laughs> Proctor! <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Gutenberg said he was the nicest guy on set. Um, Gutenberg thinks that Mahoney loves Harris, which is not something I'd really thought about. Mm. But that's how he sees it. He says he likes to annoy him, but he actually loves him. Yeah. Which is, it's a nice way of looking at it, I think. It's so weird that Harris, like, is in this and then bows out for two movies. Mm. Um, I think it was of of his own decision, though. I can't remember. It's quite cloudy. Like, I don't know whether he he was asked and didn't want to do it or they didn't ask him or they actually went in a different direction because he went off to make another movie, Hugh Wilson's next film after this. So he carried on and I think he actually chose to do that, which is why Mauser uh, Mm. comes in um, for two and three. Um, but then it's it's so fun it's so funny when you get into the police academy logic. It's like so there's there's Harris and then Mauser steps in and Mauser gets Proctor and then Mauser is in two and three and then Mauser goes and then Harris inherits Proctor and yeah, I think you've overthought it. You've thought about it more just then than anyone ever has involved with these films. <laughs> uh, G. W. Bailey um, was younger than both of us when he made this film. Oh my god! Isn't that disturbing? Wow. Doesn't that make you feel a bit sick? He was forty. Jeez. Uh, that's depressing. Um, I think Gutenberg's overthought it. Um, in his book, he says, Harris was the archetype of Campbellian myth to oppose Mahoney. He was powerful and dangerous, so Mahoney had to rise to the occasion. I mean... Uh, see, he has changed so much. <laughs> this is this is Steve Gutenberg talking at the time. Uh, it's kind of hard to talk about him because he's not exactly a deep character. I really hate it when actors get interviewed and they've just started in the love boat or something and they go on for a month about motivation and character analysis. Police Academy set out to be light entertainment and that's what it is. I read that before I went on YouTube and started watching him and now he's like... You know, as an artist, it was just a real gift. Yeah. And you're like, what are you doing? You said at the time, this is a joke to yeah, you. Yeah. He's very honest in this book, but maybe he's a little bit pretentious as well. Um, Hightower. We meet Hightower by him getting uh, annoyed about a racial slur. Uh, um, Bubba Smith said he couldn't understand why in almost every scene, Hightower would just appear. So he said to Hugh Wilson, where am I coming from? And Hugh Wilson said to him, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as I say, uh, Gutenberg says he's the beacon of light that we all dance around. Um, yeah, he played in two Super Bowls. Um, when they were doing the the active stuff on set, he was the only one that couldn't do it because of all his injuries. Ah. Um, uh, Which but- led to that very... I wonder if that was a, a Barrels and Jaws moment where he was meant to climb the rope in the gym <laughs> <laughs> and then he just pulls it out of the ceiling because like, he can't do it. Yeah, the gun in Indiana Jones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe. Um, fun fact, though, his 1983 autobiography, so before he made this... What's it called? It's called Kill Bubba Kill. <laughs> that's terrifying. Well, he was a big, tough American football player. Wow. I guess that's what people, people shouted at him. Right, right, right. Terrifying. Um, Hooks, what's her personality trait, Alex? And then very loud. <laughs> Do you know who she based that voice on? Well, she she was in Little Shop of Horrors, right? When she was auditioning, and the night before, who came in to speak to her? Mr. Michael Jackson. Yeah. So that's the voice. Mm. Yeah, she. But she says quite openly, she's like, I just basically do Michael's voice. Yeah. She was told uh, in that audition, everything scares her, even air. Um, and Leslie Easterbrook on the on the commentary um, keeps saying apparently she's wearing a fat suit for this film. Yeah, I, I read, can't spot it, but I guess she is. I read that as well, and I, actually I read it on IMDb, and because you know my, our relationship with IMDb is like take everything with a pinch of salt. I was like that can't be true, but yeah, they the whole thing was she because I think this taps back into Paul Maslinsky's thing at the start where he saw a lot of overweight cops in San Francisco, yep. and he didn't have like, and so she was going to wear a fat suit, and then through training. 
she was going to then re- be revealed as not wearing ah. the fat suit. It's not a massive fat suit, but she was going to be a lot slimmer at the end. But then they cut the scenes where she's lost oh. weight. But if you watch the parade at the end right. over the credits, you will see her a lot slimmer than wow. she is in the rest of the movie. Gosh, I'm not very. I don't notice that stuff. Um. Bubba Smith is being interviewed with her on that documentary and he just sort of looks at camera and says, she's the loudest woman I know. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny. Um, We're going to take a quick break now, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Commandant Lassard. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we're back. So, Lassard. Oh. Um, oh, all, eight, all, all seven movies, George Gaines. Mm, anagram of Lardos. Is that a thing? I don't know. Um catchphrase how can your catchphrase be many many it's, it's so good <laughs> that's not a catchphrase do you it's know two it, words. it's two words that anytime I'm right and I have to pit, I have to stop myself doing it but if I'm ever doing like an award show or anything like I will think that's a gag like if I just go many many yeah, and no one I, I'm the only one laughing <laughs> no one ever gets it and I'm like just like because you can get away with it and go that wasn't meant to be a yeah. gag but you're playing it just in case there's one person in the room who goes go on Ellison <laughs> when George Gaines came on board it became he sort of developed the character he said it was Jack Tati used for inspiration and that he sort of developed this out to lunch dreamy personality mm. for him 
I read somewhere, and I don't know if it's true, but I read that, and I can see why they would. Leslie Nielsen was maybe. in the running. Yeah, maybe. But mm. you can't imagine anyone else doing this. Oh role, my god, can you? no. No, and in fact, it's weird when you see him. Like I, I think to be perfectly fair, like the only other movie I've ever seen him in uh, outside Police Academy is Just Married, the Ashton Kutcher and Brittany Murphy mm. rom com. And it was so strange not seeing him as Commandant Lassard, despite the fact he's playing pretty much yeah, the same character. Yeah, he was a character. TV star. He was the dad in Punky Brewster, which was a big right. a big sitcom in the 80s. But, um, yeah. Uh, that line, that line, the line when Mahoney walks in and he goes, is that your fish? And he goes, no, it's a friend. And you're like, <laughs> that shouldn't be as funny as it is. And that no. is all down to performance. And then later in the film, the first time I noticed it, the fish is dead when he's feeding it. <laughs> Uh, but um, that's an airplane gag. Yeah, but there's a there's a Harris makes a joke about a dog being gay. Oh, um, yeah. You know, but the reason I bring that up, Alex, is on the commentary they make some comment about maybe Harris being gay, and they don't really get into it. But maybe there's some self loathing going on with Harris, which yeah. would make this all a bit richer because there's a couple of things that GW Bailey says that makes you think maybe he, there's a campness to that character mm. that I don't know, maybe he hates himself. Yeah. And that's why he's taking out on these men. Yeah. I mean, I've never thought that because obviously I was seven when I watched these films for the first time and I've never analyzed that, but yeah, sure. Because there's a scene where he calls, he, he, he says to Barbara that he could, he would want to project it. He could project a film on his ass because oh. it's so big. And he says in the commentary that he wanted to put a scene or they'd done a scene where he says the film is Gigi and then when he's walking away, he's sort of singing to himself, thank heavens for little boys and little girls while he's while he's drinking yes. a drink. And so that would play into that a little yeah. bit, but it's not there. We're, we're trying to add depth to this film that isn't. Um, so Blanks and Copeland, uh, these are sort of our villains um, wearing wigs in these scenes. Yeah, they shave their heads they too early. They shave their heads too early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they come back in four. I think they're only in one and four. Right, yeah. They're, they're good. They're, yeah, they're, they're funny. Good, they're good villains. They're funny blokes in real life as well. Oh yeah, yeah. They, there's an interview with them with with Gutenberg, and it's fun them taking the mick out of each other. <laughs> um, so we've got the but the haircut gag. I mean, it's directly from Stripes, isn't it? Oh yeah. Just watching people get their hair cut. Mm. Um, maybe it's an homage at that point. It's a better gag than in Stripes because Stripes just does people not liking their hair shaved and um, and. Ramis, uh, Ramis, actually, no, you're right, it is the same guy. <laughs> Sorry. Yep, just did the maths in my head. <laughs> um, so Harris introduces Callahan to uh, D-Squad for Dirtbags. Um, what's, her, what's her personality, Alex? <laughs> she's got big boobies. Yeah, people say she's just a big pair of tits. Um, she, yep, she's in, she, she's in Lava Angela. Yep. She's also a dominatrix in this, I guess. Um, she's very pro-guns in real life, so she, apparently oh, she, no. she... Yeah, she's a member of the NRA. Oh, she's, um, boo. She is. Uh, she knew how to handle every single weapon on the set. Okay, so she's a professional. Yeah. Um, so when she came into audition for that role, or when her agent told her about it, uh, it just, the description was 45-year-old female Wayne Newton with a moustache. <laughs> she said she nearly sacked her agent, but... Um, she went to the audition, she intimidated them in the audition, she said, and based on that, they went in this different direction. And a generation of pubic boys will be forever grateful. Yep. Um, so the squad leaders are Blanks and Copeland. They're, as I say, they're the villains of the piece. Uh, that's pretty much everyone. I think there's 14, 14 main characters in this film. <laughs> and they all get sure. a definite arc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's too many, but it works. So they're in training. Um, so, um, Harris writing on a blackboard. 
That's insane, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. It's it's what a mad joke. Yep. But it's really funny. Yep. That made me laugh. I'd forgotten about that. It made me funny. Um, <laughs> so Mahoney can't quit and can't be thrown out. He has to remain for the full twenty-four weeks. It's quite a weird plot, isn't it? They're it's very in- sketchy. This yeah, bit. they're encouraging the des- undesirables to quit, but the undesirable who wants to quit can't quit, and they can't kick him out. Yeah, it does. It makes my head have to do too much. Yeah, because if he gets kicked out, he goes to jail, and he doesn't yeah. want to go to jail, so he's staying in. Yeah, and then it does that switcheroo later where he's like, I want to get out, and Harris goes, I can get you out, and then yeah, he sees changes his mind because because yeah. someone shows her a leg, yeah. him her legs, yeah. Yeah, as simple as that, isn't they, it? They, they fall in love in that moment. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would stay for her. That's all I needed as a seven-year-old to go. They're now in love. Yeah, his dreamy Gutenberg look. <laughs> she turned round and showed him her legs. Mm. Uh, he says in that scene, "I'm trapped here," and I like Lassard saying, "Yes, we all are." <laughs> <laughs> see, there's so much depth to Lassard. There's depth to Lassard. It's weird. This is the only movie where you see his wife, and so she's cut out for the rest of the series, which I think works even better because having. You have no real idea of what his home life no, is. And no. you don't know, like, yeah, he's just an interesting character. Mm. Shit, I'm deaf. Um, yeah, that I'm just deaf. happens. Yeah. We don't need to go into it. Um, uh, polish on Harris's megaphone. Hugh Wilson talks about this in the documentary. Yeah. You know, that's based on a true story. Michael Winner. How do you know this? Yeah. Because I... I'm a, I don't know whether it's coming across on this episode, but I'm a bit of right. a police academy nut. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, the crew member on Police Academy uh, had done this to Michael Winner yeah. on one of his films. Brilliant. Um, so we learned that Martin's disguising himself as a woman to get into the ladies' block. He has a threesome. Uh, Callahan does a self-defence. Um, gives Barbara the thigh treatment. <laughs> Everyone wants to go. That's funny. That is absolutely hilarious. Me, me, me. Next. But Donovan, apparently, Leslie Easterbrook claims, uh, trained as a clown. And if you look at that, he does a proper flip. Oh, yeah. Like, that is incredible. That's interesting. I did not know that. And that's why I watched that and went, that's kind of impressive. Is that a stunt double? It's not. Yeah, it's that's, actually that's him. really him. Um, so, uh, we mentioned this on Monday. Mahoney is spying on women in the shower while drinking beer. I am so fascinated by how you've found a way to reason this out. Because as I said on Monday, if you haven't listened to the Stripes episode, basically... In Stripes, Stillman, the villain, watches women showering. So I was arguing that perhaps Stripes is morally better than this because we have our hero, Mahoney, drinking a beer, watching women shower. I'm going to justify it. Go. So he's just walking around campus having a beer and he sees his enemy, Harris, coming. And he thinks, oh, what can I do to get him? I know. Oh, look, the girl showers there. I'm going to pretend I'm looking. He's going to send me away and then he'll start looking and then he's the one that will get in trouble. Well done, Mahoney. Good. You're actually a goodie. Good. I, that's all I... Listen, I just... I needed that right now. I needed to believe that this movie is still great. So, yeah, good. Uh, yeah, I don't buy it, but let's pretend. <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's definitely it. It's the obligatory shower scene is what Hugh Milson calls it, all because of bloody porkies, which I don't think we'll be doing. Um... You know, Mahoney stays because she showed him her legs. But I do feel like there's half a connection between them in a way that there isn't maybe in Stripes that I don't feel. I think it's because she's never met anyone like him. Like mm. you imagine, because she's a rich girl who yeah. is, and, and for the first time in her life, she's surrounded by a guy who is not the sort of equivalent tough rich person who is being a bit cheeky, like telling her, you know, to show her his thighs, whispering in her ear, and all the rest of it. And she's probably quite enamoured by that because yeah. it's new. Okay, we're. I think we're reaching, but 
Not at all. This is this police. It lets, it lays it all out for you. You just got to look. For so it. the joke that's aged the worst, I think. Uh, they have a party, but Mahoney pretends the party is at the Blue Oyster Bar, so the Blanks and Copeland uh, go to a gay bar, it, it, and tango with leather daddies. Um, it's it's the gay panic joke, isn't it? And it, I thought it was the funniest thing when I was a kid yeah. and it, they brought it back for every film but, <laughs> um, and it was one of the scenes you look forward to but you look at it now and you're like what's the joke? Yeah absolutely absolutely um, and yet as a kid you're like it's the blue oyster joke yeah I mean what's hap- what's worse is what's happening on the beach at the actual party Tackleberry's playing saxophone mm. uh, while girls are just getting their breasts out by the fire mm. uh, this apparently is what got them the R rating was that sequence because there's actually not much swearing in this film yeah, and but, also, but all those boobs around the fire. It's funny you say that because Stripes, you watch Stripes and there's very little swearing in yeah. it. They've cut out the drug scene. The only reason Stripes really got an R was because of the nudity. So even though I was saying on Monday, you know, a lot of these movies, adult comedies had bad language and drugs and adult themes. And so they stuck in some nudity. Stripes isn't one of those. Stripes could have quite easily been a PG movie mm. and, and might have been even bigger because mm. kids could have gone to see it. There's more sex in the deleted scenes from Stripes in that extended cut. Mm. Just it's uncomfortable, all that sex. Um, target practice. Uh, tackle that target practice when they're walking down like a almost like a corridor with people. Was is that a real? I've seen it in so many films. That can't be what the police are trained to do <laughs> to shoot first and ask questions later. Actually, maybe it is. Yeah, I maybe mean, it is. Yeah, Tackleberry's out. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you go through that thought Just process. Let that hang in the air. <laughs> but yeah, by this point, he's properly uh, NRI poster boy, isn't he? In this film. Uh, this stuff all lands differently now. Uh, let's get on to the good stuff. Blanks and Copeland bring a sex worker to work to set Mahoney up. Um, I hadn't realised this is Georgina Spelvin, um, star of The Devil in Miss Jones, which is one of the most famous porn films. Yeah, she just retired uh, before doing this from adult film. This yeah. is the, the, the role she did after that as a, as a kind of favour. Yeah, because they put her in Barbara's room. Uh, Barbara's to... room. Because there's like three porn films that are, are famous. Like there's Emmanuel, there's a Green Door one, and The Devil in Miss Jones. Oh, she's one of them. Mm. Um, she After after this, she worked in desktop publishing in, for the LA Times. She's very good. She's very good. She's very good. So Mahoney takes her to the podium. Um, she takes her chewing gum out. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, nice touch, nice touch. <laughs> and uh, Commandant Massad steps up to give his speech. Now, I can remember being uh, watching this with my folks yep. and being very embarrassed, yep. but not being entirely sure why I was embarrassed because I didn't really 100% understand what's happening. I think you're absolutely right. I think the first time I saw this scene, I knew like <laughs> something was happening. Maybe she was tickling him or something, but I, I knew it's, it's sort of this weird gap as a kid. You're like, Something's happening yeah. that is making him be awkward. I don't know what that is, yeah. but now it's still funny. Now I laugh more. Yeah, there's one of them in The Man With Two Brains, which I'll talk about when we get to that, but it's just like, you had an idea what might be happening, but it wasn't 100%. I honestly, I knew this is the one scene I knew was coming in this movie, apart from, shit, I'm deaf. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to, I remember this scene. And I didn't think it was going to be as funny this time mm. round. I thought it might have dated. Yeah. And it's so good. Hugh He's Wilson. so good. G- George well, Gaines. I'll get onto that, but Hugh Wilson wasn't sure about it. He said, we really felt like we were skirting this line between funny and vulgar. Gaines calls it his debut in porn. But um, he realised the way to do it, he said, was to be completely still, but express everything just through his face mm. and his voice. Um, and he'd worked as an opera singer. So as, as Gutenberg describes it, he sort of sings his surprise and delight. Mm. And yeah, the first slide <laughs> in slide two. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Look at this. 
Wonderful squad car. <laughs> and then he says, sort of, let's just look at this slide for a moment without comment. <laughs> <laughs> See, sexual assault can be funny. It's 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 ba- it's all it's all about George Gaines's performance in that scene. It yeah. almost it almost sugarcoats a vulgar gag because he delivers it in a way that makes it less vulgar. Yeah, and then, and then there's like all these different buttons. He says, I hope this was as much fun for you as it was for me. And they all look confused. Uh, he says he's going off for lunch and a cigarette. Um, and then, of course, he looks back and Mahoney pops his head out and smiles. Yeah. And then he, I don't like his line, good speech. I think I think they could have spent more time on that. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, but and then they keep, it keeps going. He then crashes his golf carts. <laughs> um, and then he, he, he finds Harris in his office. And he says, well, he did a very, very bad thing. <laughs> and Harris says, to whom? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, talk about stretching a joke uh, out. Yeah, uh, based on what you've just said, I might have to rethink my MVW for this movie. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so we've got a bit of a success montage now. Hooks it. Hooks makes it over this wall she couldn't climb over. They're getting better. Um, Tackleberry shoots a cat out of a tree. I don't think that's funny. No, uh, that's, that's, no. that's Traffic jam. We get, and, and that's what Gutenberg calls. Sorry, this is the other joke I obviously remember. Of course. Uh, Gutenberg calls it that scene, that every comedy has that scene. Yep. And for him, it's that scene. Uh, he says, <laughs> Wilson shot it like a thriller. He says it's, it works because there's some suspense there. I mean, so Harris on a motorbike, although it clearly isn't Harris. No. Um, he crashes into a car and flies through the air and goes into a horse's ass. And Mahoney says, Come on, someone call a veterinarian. Yeah, again, the- I think there's a better line there than that. I don't know what it is. I like that line. No, I'm, 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 I'll stick up for that line. I think, um, I think this goes back to what Paul uh, Mazelinski was saying. Like, you know, him and Hugh Wilson went a bit head to head because, like, Paul Mazelinski wanted a lot of the vulgar stuff in, and Hugh Wilson didn't. And Hugh Wilson makes both. I mean, I don't know how they'd have done it the other way, but with both the fellatio scene and um, and this scene, uh, he he just like the original script called for us to see like a horse's ass with a head up it. And he just kept it all off camera, which I think makes it funnier and also mm. makes it a little less, oh, come on. I feel like I've seen his head in there. It's though. the Gwyneth Paltrow head in yeah, the box. Yeah. It's the head in the horse. Yeah. It's the it's the other, <laughs> it's the head in the box scene, but it's the head in the horse scene. Yeah, and I'll be honest, eight-year-old me, this was maybe the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Mm. Or it might have been the second funniest thing I'd ever seen because... They then have a little um, <laughs> lineup, and and Jones does the <laughs> and then that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, there's some great struggling to laugh acting yeah. in that. Callahan is just brilliant where she's like struggling. It, like it's the fact that it's everyone, even the people on Harris's side, like arguably are still just struggling to laugh. It's mm-hmm. and he plays it so well. He, he really just, does. G W Bailey does so like doesn't do anything big in that scene. No. He's unbelievably good. Um, Mahoney teaches Hightower to drive. Um, they crash. The director is the angry man who has a go at him. Yeah, do you know why? No. Because uh, the guy who was meant to play Angry Driver, they found in the trailer, passed out from drinking. So Wow. He does a good Wilson. job. Yeah, he's he good. He does a good job, Wilson. Um, so uh, they're, they've got their driving test. Um, Jones goes slow and then runs over Copeland's feet. And then we get this, you know, real hardcore racial slur. Yeah. Uh, and Hightower loses it. And it's this strange, very serious moment yep. in the middle of this comedy. I, I, I find it odd. Um, but him, uh, Bubba Smith and Marion Jones call it a very sweet scene. He says, I'd never seen a black man helping a black woman in a movie at a risk of losing his job. He just says something I'd never seen on screen before. So for me, it was 
a very important scene to have in there. Mm. Uh, so he turns the car over and he gets uh, kicked out of the police academy. I, remember I mean, watching I feel like this. this would be more an HR issue now. I think maybe Hightower would be okay. Yeah, I mean, I I remember watching it and not understanding what the racial slur was. When I was sure. a kid and I first saw it, I, I didn't know what that word meant. Yeah. And so I watched it and I just, I, you know, it plays anyway because you understood, like, yeah. he said something that is so bad yeah. that Hightower stepped in. But I think Bubba Smith is great in this scene. Yeah, yeah, he's great in the whole film. That was um, my naivety as a kid. It's <laughs> just sheltered. Yep. So Hightower is out and then there's a lunchroom brawl thanks to yet another homophobic slur. Um, Barbara's out, but Mahoney takes the blame. And then we're into the home stretch, which I'm calling their first assignment uh, because it is their first assignment, not <laughs> Police Academy 3. Wait, this... No, yeah. Oh, This yeah. is their first assignment. Well, it, yeah, okay. Um, so Fackler throws an apple out of a window it hits someone on the head and triggers a citywide brawl. That's quite funny, yeah, even though the apple changes colour in air. Um, and he says, when the route is going off, he says, who knows how these things get started? Um, yeah. So they end up in the thick of the action. Um, Jones uses his gunfire to get them out of trouble. Mm. It's a good little little payoff for a setup earlier. Uh, Hightower leaves his flower shop. I forgot to say Hightower's a florist. It's quite a funny little detail. But... Uh, Blanks and Copeland are being horrible to the thugs and they run out of fence. They give up their guns to the villain and they end up in the Blue Oyster Bar. Ha <laughs> ha. It's interesting, isn't it? Like the Police Academy films fall into one of two categories. There are certain films where it's all primarily set at the Academy and then the bad guys show up at the end mm. or it's the bad guys are in it throughout and it's largely not set at the Academy. Mm. So, for example... Uh, one is bad guys at end, two bad guys throughout, three bad guys at end, four bad guys at end, mm. five bad guys throughout, and we don't talk about six Yeah. Or seven. Well, Gutenberg talks about some of the directors they work with later on, and they he said they did they would come in with ideas and they would come in wanting to change the formula and they were not allowed to. Mm. He says that that's where it all sort of went wrong. Well, the first director on number two was fired because he was trying to make it too edgy and they were like, well, this is not nah. an edgy series. Copy and paste the script. Mm. Um, so, yeah, everyone gets their moment. Barbara runs into his bullies and kicks the crap out of them. Um, Harris gets caught and a gunfight ensues. Mahoney sprints to the rescue in quite a pedestrian action scene. He saves Thompson and he face, faces off with a coked up baddie. That guy's really coked up, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, OK. I didn't understand that when I was a kid. I mean, I don't, you don't see him take any coke. But no, think... but he's sniffing between every yeah. line, isn't he? Yeah, I think that's the suggestion. Uh, Hightower appears. I want to watch you off these pigs, he says. Um, and then he punches the baddie out and gives them back their guns. And the guns belong to Blanks and Copeland, yeah. so they're in trouble now. Nice touch. Uh, he smiles in this scene. Uh, he also said Bubba didn't really like to smile, so it was quite hard getting him to do that. <laughs> he said, I don't do that much. And then, yeah, they've saved the day and we're into the graduation ceremony. Um, Lassard is speaking at this graduation ceremony. Mm. As he walks up, he checks the podium to make sure no one's there. No, I thought he checked the podium to make sure she was okay, there. I thought, yeah, because it makes no sense if he's checking. No, he's checking to make sure she's there because he's played the prank on Mahoney this time. So he's making sure, yeah, sure yeah. she's in place. Uh, Mahoney and Hightower receive special commendations. They get medals. It's the ending of Star Wars. <laughs> and uh, Alan Ladd is the one who suggested the blowjob callback because in the test screenings, uh, it was going through the roof, basically. Uh, it was the funniest joke in the film. And so that's a reshoot we've got now. With uh, Mahoney stepping up, his zip going. Here we hear his zip. He looks down. He breaks the fourth wall to look at us. I know. Um, he looks at Lassard 
and the film ends. It's a great way to end. And then the camera passes by each of them like Dad's Army. <laughs> it's lovely. So, uh, what happened afterwards? Um, Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival wanted this film. Are you kidding? Nope. And so uh, Steve Guttenberg and Michael Winslow um, went to Cannes and had a lot of sex. <laughs> Not with each other. Um, but he said it was quite a strange sight watching Michael Winslow in the lobby of the Hotel de Cap um, doing noises for the King and Queen of Sweden. Of Sweden sorry. <laughs> Um, although I will say it won the Palm Door though that year <laughs> yeah exactly um, it, it, Michael Winslow is on this commentary it's a few of the cast the director um, he just does noises he doesn't do any noises oh I mean for fuck's sake Winslow if you're doing a commentary do one noise well I I don't know for sure and like I said I'm a big Jones and Michael Winslow fan having gigged with him but <laughs> I do think as these as these films are required to up the ante from movie to movie I'm not sure that he can make some of the noises he does in the later episodes. I think some of them are. Oh, so I didn't even click on it because I didn't. I couldn't care less. But I think um, he's just been on America's Got Talent maybe in the last three years. Yeah, he has. Yeah. So he can. He's still doing it. Oh, he still does some of the noises. I just think there are certain noises where I'm like, I just don't. I don't think that's possible with the human. And I'm happy to be proved wrong. I would love to see him do them live. So maybe I'll click on that link you didn't click on. Yeah, but. I just think they were well, like... Well, he got through several rounds, so I think... I think I, I, think, I, I worry that it's like... What else have you got? I burnt through everything in uh, Police Academy 1. It's like, okay, well, we can help because you are not going anywhere. He's very litigious, you know. He makes every single noise he sells okay. himself, especially the sound of a, a lawyer being paid. Well, he might be litigious, I don't know. <laughs> um, so um, the same people who said no to Steve Guttenberg for Splash uh, asked him to be in Cocoon. Oh, nice. Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. Nice. So it, it all, what goes around comes around. But as he says in the book, he felt like with each successive sequel, we were duping the audience. They got cheaper. They got more rushed. And he says, what's interesting is when you do the same joke every time, the audience develops a tolerance for the movies. And he says it has a degenerative effect. And so he feels like he, he, he really regrets doing four. Yeah, I don't think four's very good. I, that's my memory of four. And I know I put it above three at the start of this episode, but I think actually four might be pretty bad. I think maybe I liked it because it's the Mahoney's sort of swan song. And obviously Sharon Stone's in four. Yeah, yeah. But Well, my friend's mum didn't think it was good. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe four is actually quite bad. But it's this movie. This first movie is was the highest grossing of all the films. This was the one that made the most really? money. Two, I would have thought it would have been two. Two made quite a lot. Two. This made about what, 180 million dollars, as you said at the start, and two I think made about 120 million dollars, mm. and cost like about three million dollars more because, um, <laughs> you know, Mahoney was like, "I'm getting paid." Oh yeah, he he spends a long time in his book describing negotiations. As mm. I say, it's interesting. You don't normally get this stuff in in, in autobiographies. I'm going to read that. It's good. The Steve Gutenberg Bible. Yeah, the Gutenberg. The Gutenberg. Bible. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I mean, look, this for me, Steve Guttenberg became like yeah. a, a figurehead of the 80s for me to we, the point where I followed him all the way through in the moment that he lost me. Because, I mean, I loved him as Mahoney. I didn't really love him in Cocoon in that way that when you're a kid, you're like, why is he not doing Mahoney stuff? He's, yeah. I, he's being a real actor. Um, High Spirits was where I, he lost me because I rented High Spirits based on Guttenberg. And it is, uh, it's, it's the only film as a kid I remember thinking, this is, a, like, I must have mm. been still younger than 10 and rem I remember thinking this is a bad film mm. this is unwatchable because you've suggested it before for the podcast and I wasn't sure if you were serious or not because there's films we want to do that it would pair with yes but it, yeah I just I can't imagine watching it again no 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 um, it just works so well with those movies but we've got three films that we've all agreed we want to do 
on this podcast that Gutenberg makes in the next four years. Yep. So, and I've I, at least one we will we'll get to this year. Sure. I'm, I'm sure about it. But um, I think it's Ballers, the, the the Dwayne Johnson sitcom. He shows up there, and it's like, wow, he's transformed into like he can play quite a scary dude or an asshole or a bully. Like he's, I think he's back. But he he does still keep um saying there's going to be another police academy every sort of six months. He does an interview where he says we're going to do another one. Yeah, I mean there is if they make it. I mean there was a there was a brief period where um. Key and Peel, uh, Jordan Peel, mm. and um, uh, Michael. Uh, uh, yeah, what is, is Michael Key? Michael, why have I got that wrong? Anyway, anyway, Key and Peel, uh, they were going to be uh, doing a police, uh, a new version of Police Academy, and then mm. obviously Jordan Peel meant uh, made them get out, and then went. You know, I'm going to put that on ice. <laughs> <laughs> right, should we do the bits? Uh, Alex, what's your favourite scene? Uh, yes, good question. My favourite scene is sex worker in the podium. It's still the greatest scene. I think, I don't know, it was really hard, actually. I think I laughed most at that scene, so yeah, I'll stick with that. What's the alternative? The alternative is probably, I mean, because each scene is just like, it's one moment, like I'm picking moments, but I think it's a sort of well-thought-through gag that George Gaines sells so bloody well, I'm going with the the, the sex worker in the podium gag. Um, Eight-year-old me, the horse, um... Old me, the blowy. Yeah. Uh, most valuable whatever. So is it a toss-up between two people for you here? Yeah, I'm interested to know Who what, are the you, two? what you think it is. I'm, just, I'm asking you. Okay. Do you think one of them is Steve Guttenberg? No. Okay, interesting. So uh, hands down what I've got written, and it's only having done this show and having thought a lot about one character uh, and one actor that I, I, I now am in a bit of a quandary. But what I have written down is Robert Folk for creating that score. That score mm. is a score that I'm, I, I'm, I'm not even lying. I welled up. It's been about 20 years since I watched a Police Academy movie and I heard it for the first time in 20 years and the, the effect was so profound. I was dragged back to the innocence of childhood and hearing that song and how happy it made me every time I heard that song and what was in store when I heard that song and mm. like the escapism that was on offer, the feel good, the fun, the funny. And I was just like, oh my God, this is profound, which is why I've been watching, uh, listening rather, to that song ever since I watched this movie. So Robert Folk, who composed that, uh, having taken um, um, Elmer Bernstein's Stripes song uh, score and gone, I want to do that, I'm going to do that. And so, yeah, it's it's that that score and Robert Folk for creating that score. Wow. Okay. The so, other one is George Gaines mm, from what we've talked about. So mine are, are George Gaines or G.W. Bailey. This okay. is what I've written down. And I can't pick between them. And so I started looking into their histories. These are interesting men. So George Gaines, um, in 1940, he attempted to flee occupied France by crossing the Pyrenees Mountains into neutral Spain. He was arrested by the Spanish authorities. In 43, he joined the Royal Netherlands Navy. Um, he spoke fluent Dutch, English, French, Italian and Russian. He was soon detached to the British Royal Navy. He took part in the Allied invasion of Sicily, the Battle of Anzio in the Italian campaign and the Adriatic campaign. He was honourably discharged in July 1946 and his highest military rank was sergeant. Oh my god. That's Commandant Lassard. Oh my god. And so I thought, well, I've got to give it to him for that. G.W. Bailey. So G.W. Bailey annoyed me on the commentary because he left the commentary after an hour. But I looked into him. So after he'd been. Was a, it clear why? Was he not getting. I'm going to get to that. Um, he um, 
after his acting career was a success, he went to, back to uni. He went to Southwest Texas State University. In 1994, he graduated with a bachelor's degree of fine arts and theatre. Mm. That would be awesome if he was in your class. Um, and since his goddaughter was diagnosed with leukaemia, he has worked voluntarily for the Sunshine Kids Foundation, organising trips for young cancer sufferers. In 2001, he was announced as the executive director of the foundation. And he leaves the commentary because he says he's got to go to a foundation gala. Oh, and I thought, wow. what's that? What's he talking about? And then it's like, oh, wow, this is really important to him. Yeah. So um, I'm deciding that uh, war hero trumps uh, Cancer Foundation person. So I'm giving it to George Gaines. <laughs> wow. That's a hell of a call. Yeah. All right. Good. But remarkable men. And just I think they bring these films to life. The villains in a way that I probably didn't understand when I was a kid watching them and, lo- and looked up to Mahoney. Mm. It's these guys that are selling it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and, and Mauser was great. Um, Art Art Metrano, Art mm. Metrano, he was so good as as, as Mauser. Yeah, uh, really funny. And like you know, some of what he had to suffer uh, trumps anything that Harris had to go through. I mean, the horses ass, yeah, but like the pranks that Mahoney mm. calls on Mauser are incredibly funny in two and three. But you know, it was always Harris for me. Yeah, I was always a Harris man. Always Harris. Uh, and if you could change anything, what would you change? Uh, I. I as you can probably tell, I'm a fan of this movie. And so it was really difficult. I mean, aside from the obvious, um, you know, of its time moments that you you can't, you wouldn't have now. But to put those to one side, I, I genuinely think the only problem I have with this movie is do not use the song I'm Gonna Be Somebody by Jack Mack and the Heart Attack at the end when you have Robert Folk's score in the back pocket. I want to hear that score over the end of this movie just to walk me out of the cinema. Nah, I'd heard it enough. They, it'd been overplayed. No. Nope. You cannot overplay that. And that's Trust a me. tune. And that's a tune, that, that, that song. <laughs> no, it's not. I've got it on my Spotify. <laughs> um, okay, my change is to have a more Fletch-like tone to the ending. So, or an idea for a sequel, maybe. So it's not a change. Um, or Mah- the new movie that's being made. Mahoney's dad is a cop. It's established, or was a cop. But he's no longer around. Mahoney's dad died in mysterious circumstances, and they get together and solve the crime. I feel like they set something up at the start of this film. Okay. So bring the climax all the way yeah, back round. Yeah, I, no, I'm, I'm not opposed to that, mainly because I think the weakest part of this film is that final act. Agreed. I mean, it's not a very good change, but it's just something I thought, oh, there's something there with Mahoney's dad yeah. being dead. Do you know, it's not a very good change. It's a near-perfect film. <laughs> near-perfect <laughs> film, which is going to make the next bit suspenseful. Oh, right then. So Stripes versus Police Academy. Yeah. Uh, it's the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. So um, I'll step in for Vicky as Vicky's not here and I shall go first because I think there is still an iota of chance over Chris's vote, but I'll just... <laughs> Do you? No, no, I'm, I don't know why I'm reaching for suspense. You, you that can switch there. off now, you know what's coming. <laughs> so um, I will say that I had a conversation with Vicky the other day and she was saying how comedies are made on their casting. And I think that's an interesting comment, purely because if you look at the cast mm. of Stripes, the calibre of performer in there, Candy, Larroquette, flipping Ramis a little bit, but Murray is in there as well. And you watch that and you're like, but who are you playing? I don't understand your characters. Police Academy, arguably, none of the cast have gone on to be comedy legends. However, I watch this movie and I get their characters so well in the deficient definition of who they are and the fact they all get arcs of some description means that this is a much more enjoyable movie. It's funnier. Police Academy is the better film. It's a comedy that what Stripes doesn't do, it does 
which is make you freaking laugh. So Police Academy. Okay. Chris. Uh, I think these are two bad films. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not surprised you wait till, till the very end of the show before we leave to tell me that. I also think Just they... forget going to the pub. I also think they might both celebrate fascism, which isn't good. But there's a nice message underneath both of these films. They're giving broken people a purpose. They're about your flaws becoming your strengths. They're about misfits coming together, becoming a family, and uh, as a group that bigger than the sum of their parts. They're also interestingly about people who hate authority becoming authority. Which I think is interesting, mm. but I like that Stroke Stripes focuses on two people rather than ten. I think that's a better way to approach one of these stories. But as I said, there's a problem in that I'm on Hulk's side in Stripes, which I shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why I like Police Academy so much. I think it's because I was a kid, and they're simple jokes and they're simple characters, and I looked forward to seeing the same thing each time. Um, which must have been very easy for these writers. <laughs> that's a gig I would have yeah. wanted. Um, why were they so big globally? I think it's because they're basically silent movies or they could be. You yeah. could switch the sound off and you'd laugh just as much at Police Academy. And we said nostalgia is a dangerous thing. I don't know if it's the nostalgia talking for both of us or just me, but I had a connection with Police Academy that I don't have with Stripes. I like the characters more and I find it funnier. So it's, stri- it's Stripes. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, switcheroo at the end there. <laughs> no, it's Police Academy. Okay, so that is two for Police Academy. Police Academy is our winner. I have asked Vicky what she would have voted for, and I have what she said right here. So Vicky actually (laughs) voted for Stripes. She said that mud wrestling scene is one of the greatest (laughs) moments in cinema history. So Victoria went for Stripes for the mud wrestling. She's always sending us pictures from that scene. (laughs) She loves it. She's probably doing some mud wrestling now. That's what she does when she's not here. She's definitely mud wrestling. She she said that they nailed the shower scene in Stripes in a way they didn't in Police Academy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. she did. She said, she she was like, I want to be a loofah. That's hilarious. She's going to kill us. (laughs) You, you. Uh, So Police Academy is our winner. I can't tell you how good that is because it it would have been a tantrum. It would have been a tantrum verdict for me if Stripes had won. I'm telling you now. Right, let's look ahead to next week's pairing. I gave you a clue that Chris did better, so this is the clue that Chris did, but me singing it because, God, I love to sing. This useless twisting of our new technology, which is obviously a line from Virtual Insanity, which means that the movies we are doing next week... Oh, strap in if you didn't think Police Academy was a great film. (laughs) Virtuosity! The Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe Magnificence, which is available on Amazon and Apple. And we are pairing that with... I did them in the wrong order. You I know, did? I know you like chronology. I, don't I haven't done them in the wrong order. And we are pairing that with um, apparently adapted, uh, adapted, adapted from a Stephen King book. More on that if <laughs> I find out, because I've been saying that to a lot of people and they've gone, really? I know, that was quite a famous court case. Okay, good. And so... <laughs> Legally, you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> 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 so, uh, based on the work of Stephen King, we are doing Lawnmower Man. We've been waiting for it to become available. It is now finally available on Amazon. So it's Lawnmower Man versus Virtuosity next week. Uh, in the meantime, feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram where we reside at ClashPod. We do love to hear from you and we do dip into our digital mailbags from time to time. You can see videos of the show on our Instagram account, like I said, at ClashPod. If for whatever reason you haven't subscribed or perhaps you have a friend who hasn't subscribed, please tell them to subscribe on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your pods and we will be back on Monday talking Lawnmower Man. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.
This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.